We've gotten a signal, so we are amplified now, and it's good to see you all on this uh, unusual Sunday morning with the rain last night and the brisk winds. Glad you're all here. Uh, we are in the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 8. We continue to look at the life of David and lessons that we can learn from the way he lived his life before God. And this morning, we're going to be dealing with the topic of how to deal with success. Chapter 8, 2 Samuel, verses 9 through 15. How to deal with success. Before we get into it, though, let's come to the Lord and ask for his guidance as we turn to his word. Let's pray. Lord, again, we offer to you our thanks for this Sabbath day, a day of celebration because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, a day to rejoice in who you are and what you have done for us, a day to express our gratitude to you, looking back over our lives and all that you have done, and a day when we come before you and your word to be changed, to be made into better people, because we are learning your truth and what you have to say to us about how we should live. We ask now that your spirit will guide our minds and our hearts as we look at this passage of scripture today. In Christ's name, amen. Second Samuel chapter 8, verses 9 through 15. When King Toy, king of Hamath, heard that David had defeated the whole army of Hadadezer, Toy sent his son Joram to King David to ask about his health and to bless him because he had fought against Hadadezer and defeated him. For Hadadezer had often been at war with Toy, and Joram fought with him, brought with him articles of silver, of gold, and of bronze. These also King David dedicated to the Lord together with the silver and gold that he dedicated from all the nations he subdued from Edom, Moab, the Ammonites, the Philistines, Amalek, and from the spoil of Hadadezer, the son of Rehob, king of Zobah. And David made a name for himself when he returned from striking down 18,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt. Then he put garrisons in Edom. Throughout all Edom he put garrisons, and all the Edomites became David's servants. And the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. So David reigned over all Israel. And David administered justice and equity to all his people. This is God's word, and it describes to us something that happened a long time ago, but it definitely happened. This is accurate history of the people of ancient Israel and what was taking place in their life as a nation. Now let me remind you a little bit of what's brought us to this particular point. David is establishing his kingdom. You remember how the last couple of chapters we looked at how he wanted to bring the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. And after a couple of mistakes along the way, they did that. And that was a symbol that the kingdom was indeed united under David there in the capital city of Jerusalem. But there were a lot of things that were leading up to that. Now, as David is establishing himself as king... We have a long list of nations that he conquered and how he did that in chapter 8. I got through all those Hebrew names in the part I read you. There are a lot more in the rest. 
We're going to just talk about those and not read them. But David is solidifying his kingship over all of Israel. The divided kingdom has not come about yet. The tribes that came together under Saul then were split between David as a king and the descendants of Saul fighting against him after Saul's death. And now that has been reconciled and David alone is king. And in these conquests that David has made, there's a great deal of plunder that comes his way. These were obviously very wealthy kingdoms, and we're just talking about a tiny little piece of geography. It's almost as if we're thinking about counties in North Carolina around Asheville and Black Mountain rather than nations around the world. These are people that were within immediate adjacent areas to Jerusalem and the kingdom of Israel. But there was great wealth there. And in this list, there is gold, there is silver, there is bronze beyond counting. There are gemstones that are all brought in as plunder and some brought as tribute to David as the established king of Israel. The Lord gave great victory and David acknowledges that. That's in verses 6, 11, and 15 the writer chronicles this to make sure we understand that David took the plunder and he dedicated it to God. It wasn't for his own personal use. It wasn't just to spread around the whole group of Israel, but it was for the simple purpose of magnifying God and put in the temple area that would become the temple area in thanksgiving to God for his giving them the victory. David has become an extremely successful king. That's beyond doubt. And he keeps this attitude throughout his life. I'm going to remind you, go way back to the time when David was a younger man and he was coming under the service of Saul and they were fighting the Philistines. And David as a shepherd had experienced a relationship with God that he describes when wild beasts would attack the sheep. David would go after him. He wouldn't run away. And in the name of the Lord, he would kill those beasts that were trying to take his father's sheep away and had victory. And when David faces Goliath, he treats him the same way. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 37 and 45. Verse 37, David speaking. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And then in verse 45, he addresses Goliath. David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. That was his attitude as a young man. And as we follow him throughout all of 1 and 2 Samuel, we see that that attitude is still his approach to life. It is not done in his strength. It is not done in his valor, but is done in the name of the Lord God who has given him the ability to have these victories. The Lord has delivered these to my hand. He will deliver this to my hand as well. Same qualities as shepherd and as king. And his successes 
do not take away his own sense of humility before God. That's very important. Now I want to contrast this to what happened with King Saul. And there's just one tiny little verse that indicates what this was going on in that first king's life. You remember Saul was chosen by God to be the first king of Israel. He was anointed by Samuel. He fought battles in which he was victorious. But then he began to lose sight of who God was and who he was. And this one little verse, chapter 15 of 1 Samuel, verse 12, Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, and it was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. He set up a monument not to God, but to himself. You can see at that point, he was beginning to take credit for all of these victories and to put up a visible marker that's saying how great he was. And from that point on, the kingdom of Saul was in decline. And it ends in that tragic scene that we've already looked at where Saul goes to the witch of Endor to try to find out what's going to happen. He's told he will be defeated the next day. Indeed, he is defeated sort of an assisted suicide. His sons are killed on Mount Gilboa, and that's the end of his reign. He did not handle success very well in his life at all. David is in strong contrast to that. Now, when you and I achieve success, we have a choice of two attitudes. And we've all achieved success of one sort or another in our lives. We all know that. You can be successful because of your own abilities, your own intellect, your own physical strength, your own acumen, or you can be successful because the Lord has blessed you and you trust in him. Now, these are very graphic contrasts in the life of Saul, the life of David, and the lesson for you and me as we look at this passage. If we choose the first reason for our success, it's because of our intellect, our strength, our ability, our work, it's going to lead to a bad end because we've left out the God who gives us life and breath and purpose in life. It always leads to a bad end. Even if it's not seen in this physical life, it will in the life to come. Because we are not trusting in God. We are not giving him the credit for the success we've had. But if we choose the second response, if we choose to say what I have and who I am is not because of my intellect and my ability and my business acumen, it is because of the God whom I worship. He has blessed me. And who I am and what I have is all a gift from him. Now with that attitude... We can be assured of success, not necessarily in a wealth manner, but in a sense of our own inner person, peace and contentment and joy. Because we don't have the pressure of having to perform to do all this stuff. We have learned to trust in God to do it for us. And we will obey him 
And we will give him the honor and the glory because of what has taken place in our lives. David maintained a full dependence on God for his success. He did not take credit for himself. Let me remind you again in verse 15 of 2 Samuel 8. David reigned over all Israel, and David administered justice and equity to all his people. This is after he has dedicated all of these plundered items to God, not to himself. And he would be the very first to say, I am king of Israel because of the God of Israel who has called me to do this, not because I'm a great warrior. The same attitude he has as a child, he now exhibits as an adult king. He maintained a full dependence on God for success. And the credit goes to God, not to himself. And this is the main point we've got to emphasize. Over and over, if someone were praise him for what he'd done, I think his response would be, it is from God. He has promised this to me. He has given this to me. Who I am and what I've done is only in response to his lordship in my life. And that is example for you and me to follow. It is an example of Christ. And this is a very unusual way of looking at his work. But the more I thought about it, the more I realized, no, that's actually what took place. I'm going to read to you Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 11. Yeah, actually, 5 through 11. Paul writes to the church in Philippi, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that, above, that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The mark of Jesus' success was not in performing miracles, was not in declaring himself to be the Son of God, but his success was his willingly giving up a perfect life as a sacrifice for you and me. And in that moment, as we look at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, as we hear his words from the cross just before his death, and then we encounter him in his resurrection, he trusted his Father to take care of him. Into your hands I commend my spirit. And what he did, we can understand in this sense, was not in his own power, but depending upon his father to raise him back to life from the dead and to prove that he indeed is a son of God himself. He was humble, he was obedient. And over and over, particularly in the Gospel of John, Jesus says, look, I have nothing to offer than, other than what my Father has given me. 
I do not teach you anything new that I have not heard from the Father. He was giving credit to his own Heavenly Father. This is so mysterious, the Trinity at work. And yet his measure of success was that he trusted his Father to take care of him even through death. The first man to be resurrected, never to die again, Jesus Christ. He was successful, very successful in what he did, but he gave the credit to God, his Father. I want to glorify the Father, and the Father is glorified in me by my obedience and my dependence upon him. He was successful, and he depended upon his Father. This is a short lesson but I wanted to really emphasize this one little part about what it means to be successful. Because in the United States, in our culture now, this is the last thing that seems to come to people's minds. We know a few athletes that have given credit to God for what they do. There are a few, very few businessmen and others who have attained power and wealth and give glory to God. But it is a very rare attitude. And we are in danger of drifting into this cultural mindset that we are independent, we are self-sufficient, we can do it ourselves, thank you very much, we don't need to depend upon anybody else, and unfortunately that can include God. It's a lie, and it's not what Scripture teaches us. We live in an abundant land. We live in a land that is rich in resources, that has acknowledged Christ as Lord and Savior in years and decades and generations past, but is now deserting that. And now it's only about me and mine. I am the center of my universe. This is my truth that I want to have, and it creates nothing but conflict. You wonder why we have so much radical statements going on in the press and individual conversations. It's because Jesus Christ is no longer the main point. He's a forgotten point. And everyone wants to take credit for their life because of what they have done and their shrewdness and what they can get. And it's wrong. It leads to the destruction of the soul as well as for a relationship with God. That's why I wanted to take this one little section out of 2 Samuel 8 and stress that in all the plunder that David had received, he dedicated to God. Who he was as a shepherd was the same man he was as an adult. And this continues through his life. Now we're going to see as we go further on, he made some major mistakes. Major mistakes. And yet he never deserted his worship of God. He confessed his sin. He acknowledged his mistakes. He depended upon the Lord to take care of him. We'll see that over and over and over again. And that is to be our guide in how we deal with success in our lives. Now, a hymn that stresses this is somewhat repetitive, and I hope it sticks in your brain because it sticks in mine as I read this. It's almost a chorus in its repetitiveness, but not really. Not I, but Christ. Not I, but Christ be honored, loved, exalted. Not I, but Christ, be seen, be known, be heard. Not I, but Christ, in every look and action. 
not I, but Christ in every thought and word. Not I, but Christ to gently soothe in sorrow. Not I, but Christ to wipe the falling tear. Not I, but Christ to lift the weary burden. Not I, but Christ to hush away all fear. Not I, but Christ in lowly, silent labor. Not I, but Christ in humble, earnest toil. Christ, only Christ. No show, no ostentation. Christ, none but Christ, the gatherer of the spoil. Christ, only Christ, ere long will fill my vision, glory excelling, soon, full soon I'll see, Christ, only Christ, my every wish fulfilling, Christ, only Christ, my all and all to be. So, when we look at our lives, we must acknowledge it's not us, but Christ. Let's pray. Father, the temptation is so subtle, we do often fall into thinking that we are the cause of our success. Forgive us, Lord, for that is wrong. We know we are responsible to use the gifts you've given us for the furtherance of your kingdom and for the good of society. And yet we also confess to you that we tend to forget that it all is from you. Every purchase, every idea, every action is only because you have guided us and you have brought us to the place we stand now. Forgive us, Lord, for forgetting. Forgive us when we try to put ourselves back on the throne of our hearts and not Christ. And grant that we will always, till the day we meet you, be sure that we understand and we let others understand who we are and what we have done is because of your grace and your power and not our own work. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen.